The reading is from 1 Kings, chapter 13, beginning at verse 33, and that's on page 354. Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. At that time, Abijah, son of Jeroboam, became ill, and Jeroboam said to his wife, Go, disguise yourself so that you won't be recognized as the wife of Jeroboam. Then go to Shiloh. Ahijah the prophet is there, the one who told me I would be king over this people. Take ten loaves of bread with you, some cakes and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what will happen to the boy. So Jeroboam's wife did what he said and went to Ahijah's house in Shiloh. Now Ahijah could not see. His sight was gone because of his age. But the Lord had told Ahijah, Jeroboam's wife is coming to ask you about her son, for he is ill, and you are to give her such and such an answer. When she arrives, she will pretend to be someone else. So when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps at the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why this pretense? I have been sent to you with bad news. Go, tell Jeroboam that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I raised you up from among the people and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, but you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. You have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made for yourself other gods, idols made of metal, You have aroused my anger and turned your back on me. This is the word of the Lord. The reading continues from verse 10 in 1 Kings chapter 14. Because of this, I am going to bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every last male in Israel, slave or free, I will burn up the house of Jeroboam as one burns dung until it is all gone. Dogs will eat those belonging to Jeroboam who die in the city, and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. The Lord has spoken. As for you, go back home. When you set foot in your city, the boy will die. All Israel will mourn for him and bury him. He is the only one belonging to Jeroboam who will be buried, because he is the only one in the house of Jeroboam in whom the Lord, the God of Israel, has found anything good. The Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who will cut off the family of Jeroboam. Even now this is beginning to happen, and the Lord will strike Israel so that it will be like a reed swaying in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land that he gave to their ancestors and scatter them beyond the river Euphrates, because they aroused the Lord's anger by making Asherah poles. And he will give Israel up because of the sins Jeroboam has committed and has caused Israel to commit. Then Jeroboam's wife got up and left and went to Terzah. As soon as she stepped over the threshold of the house, the boy died. They buried him, and all Israel mourned for him, as the Lord had said through his servant, the prophet Ahijah. The other events of Jeroboam's reign 
his wars and how he ruled, are written in the book of the annals of the King of Israel. He reigned for 22 years and then rested with his ancestors, and Nadab, his son, succeeded him as king. Rehoboam, son of Solomon, was king in Judah. He was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 17 years in Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel in which to put his name. His mother's name was Nama. She was an Ammonite. Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. By the sins they committed, they stirred up his jealous anger more than those who were before them had done. They also set up for themselves high places, sacred stones and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. There were even male shrine prostitutes in the land. The people engaged in all the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem. He carried off the treasures of the temple of the Lord and the treasures of the royal palace. He took everything, including all the gold shields Solomon had made. So King Rehoboam made bronze shields to replace them and assigned these to the commanders of the guard on duty at the entrance to the royal palace. Whenever the king went to the Lord's temple, the guards bore the shields, and afterwards they returned them to the guardroom. As for the other events of Rehoboam's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? There was continual warfare between Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and Rehoboam rested with his ancestors and was buried with them in the city of David. His mother's name was Nama, she was an Ammonite, and Abijah, his son, succeeded him as king. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mary. Well, uh, when I opened my Bible when I got in, uh, the, the notice sheet, the service sheet, was put in on the, the page for the reading. And I thought, whoa, this is a new standard for the kind of those uh, giving out Bibles here at Trinity, uh, the, the, the Gareth Crispin gold standard. Um, so um, no pressure, those who are following. Uh, so do um, uh, keep the Bible open on that page uh, if, <laughs> uh, if you've closed it. Uh, it is great to have... Uh, the word of God open before you on your knee. It is such a privilege uh, because God through his Holy Spirit is speaking to us today through these very words. Uh, This is a a wonderful privilege. Uh, Let me pray for us uh, as we look at this passage together. From words uh, from Psalm uh, 86. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would indeed teach us this morning of your faithfulness. And in the light of your faithfulness, we pray, Lord God, that we would be undivided in our hearts, uh, that we would know our God and worship him alone. For we ask this in your name. Amen. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We have a small problem. All four engines have stopped. We are doing our damnedest to get them going again. I trust you're not in too much distress. (laughs) 
uh, the famous announcement uh, on uh, British Airways flights uh, 009 in 1982 after flying through uh, a, a cloud of volcanic ash. Now, just imagine yourself on that plane. Okay? Uh, what would you do in that scenario? Try to keep calm? <laughs> I'm sure we will try, hopefully. Uh, our airline pilot might. But of course, um, uh, would, would you pray? I bet you would. <laughs> It took, uh, I'm told, just over 10 minutes to restart the engines and to be able to safely then land the plane. Afterwards, one of the passengers was interviewed. He said, I'm not religious, but boy, did I pray for those 10 minutes. Well, look, the interviewer couldn't then resist. He said, well, uh, do you think that it will make you more religious in the future? Oh, no, he said. Uh, This morning's part of the Bible is a warning against treating God like that. And it's a warning because it does come naturally to us, to all of us, to create in our minds a picture of God that's completely different to the God of the Bible, the real God, the one true God. And the Bible word for doing that is idolatry. Uh, We do it because it's more convenient. Uh, An unreal God uh, kind of that doesn't make demands on us that we know that we don't want. uh, And he gives us the things that we do want when we need them. You see, uh, idolatry is about fitting gods uh, into the agenda we have for our lives. And we need to be warned against that. And we need to be encouraged to treat God as he really is. So today we're going to see who God is, but also we're going to be seeing the human heart. uh, And encouraged uh, to see God as he really is, to have an undivided heart. Uh, Bob's given us a, a short introduction to, to One Kings again. David uh, handed over the, the 12 tribes of Israel to his son Solomon. Uh, and then Solomon, well, he went spiritually off the rails. And as a judgment, God allowed a rebellion so that his people split into two, a, a civil war in, in 1 Kings 11 and 12. Uh, and so Solomon's son Rehoboam became king of the Judah in the south, uh, and the other king, Rehoboam, sorry, Jeroboam, became king of the rest of them. Now, it does get confusing, because we've got two kings with similar names who both have a son uh, with the same name, and a prophet who's got a similar name. Okay, and, and, and you know, it's, it, is, it is a bit confusing, but let's, let's just kind of, just remember for a moment, we, we don't get confused between Tim and Tom, uh, well, maybe occasionally, but like uh, these are unfamiliar names, uh, but that doesn't mean we're to write them off. Okay, we're to learn who these people are because they're given to us uh, so that we might. We're going to look uh, at Jeroboam uh, and then briefly uh, we'll look at Rehoboam. So, Jeroboam, uh, Jeroboam is the king of Israel in the north. And the point I want us to take from him uh, this morning is that you can't deceive God. Okay? You, you can't play God. I, 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 mean, I mean that in the sense of you can't maneuver God to, to, to get him to do what you want him to do. Uh, you can't trick him. 
Uh, well, let's uh, remind ourselves of what we've seen about Rehoboam. So in your Bibles, just turn back over the page to chapter 12, page 352, uh, verse 26, um, where we're told this about Rehoboam. Oh, Jeroboam. I'm doing it myself now. <laughs> Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert uh, to uh, the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, It is too much for you to go, down to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you of Egypt, uh, one he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. So uh, Jeroboam's agenda is to stay in control of his kingdom. So he thinks that uh, he can use God in his own way to serve his agenda. And that's, when you think about it, how much religion works, isn't it? You know, I, I, I kind of somehow contrive a God who will do for me what I request, hopefully when I want. That is what religion does. Uh, so uh, it might be that I contrive of a God to whom I will give an offering to at the temple, uh, maybe a prayer uh, in a time of need, uh, you know, a trip to a place of worship. Uh, I do that for my God, and in return, for me doing that to God, my God does something for me. That is how it works, a, a blessing of some sort. So Jeroboam makes these idols to serve his agenda, uh, and why is he doing that? Because he wants control. He wants control of this, the situation. He doesn't want to lose people to the south, to Judah. But as we saw last week, if you're here, uh, the real God, the God of the Bible, won't tolerate being treated like that. So God rebuked Jeroboam for practicing this sort of idolatry. Uh, but Jeroboam carries on under that illusion that he's in control and he can make God do what he wants him to do. And so, uh, chapter 13, verse 33, uh, we read, uh, Even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways. See, he's still living this illusion of control. Uh, but once more appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. And this was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and its destruction from the face of the earth. So here the author tells us what's going on. Je uh, Jeroboam's line is going to come to an end. And indeed through uh, 1 Kings, we're going to hear that phrase again and again. Uh, that Jeroboam's sin will lead to the destruction of Israel. It, it's the program for the rest of the book until, uh, until Israel is finally conquered in 722 by the Assyrians. And chapter 14 describes the beginning of this downfall. Uh, Jeroboam is there, his self-determination, well, it's shattered. Uh, three parts will look at Jeroboam's downfall. Firstly, in verses 1 to 3, Jeroboam's scheme to deceive God. So read verse 1, chapter 14. At that time, Abijah 
son of Jeroboam, became ill and gravely ill because it causes Jeroboam to do what many do when they find themselves in a helpless situation. He petitions God. But being somewhat reluctant to face the God who'd spoken against him, who triveled his hand and all that, he decides not to take the risk uh, of going himself. So uh, in, in, in uh, a sense of uh, this great scheme comes into his mind, I know, I'll send my wife instead. Uh, verse 2, Jeroboam said to his wife, go disguise yourself so that you won't be recognized as the wife of Jeroboam. Then go to Shiloh. Ahijah, the prophet, is there, the one who told me I should be king over his people. Take ten loaves of bread with you and some cakes and a jar of honey and go to him. He will tell you what will happen to the boy. So you know, wear drab clothes. Don't look like a queen. Goodness sake, don't look like a queen. No, take a humble gift. Uh, and as long as uh, Ahijah, the prophet, doesn't connect you to me, maybe we'll get a favorable word about our son. As though you can deceive God and maneuver him into acting in the way that you want. But of course that's something that does come quite naturally to us, isn't it? You know, so, so easy. We can go through, you know, kind of uh, most of life thinking that our successes and our joys and our well-being for the majority of the time uh, can be put down entirely to ourselves. And yet when those rare occasions come, that even though we've ignored God nor, nor thanked him, when we feel out of our depth, we can somehow go to him and expect him to come to our service. It's how uh, the person on the airplane was thinking, wasn't it? It's how people in our culture today think about God. And of course, uh, you know, uh, uh, Ahijah, the, the, the prophet, isn't the first clergyman to have a, um, somebody come knocking on their door in a time of desperate help and need. You see, but the problem is, is that just because uh, that is how people think of him, it's, it, it's how we can slip into thinking of God too, isn't it? But it's not the real God. God isn't some heavenly vending machine that if only we find the right combination of coins, he will then dispense the blessing, what we want. No, but in God's kindness, and this is a kindness, although it is a hard kindness to learn, the real God causes healing and illness. The real God causes plane engines to fail and stall and also to start again. And he causes 101 other situations uh, that undermine the illusion that we have that we're in control of life and it's down to us. And death is the great breaker down of illusion, isn't it? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. You see, he has numbered our days. Life is a gift to us. Uh, it's not a right. He knows our days. He's numbered them, and each day is a gift from him. And so faced with a, a very sick child, Jeroboam's self-achievement has just been shattered. And so he sent his wife uh, off. Now, the, the, the tragedy here is, 
is that as, uh, as they do this, secondly, that they must be confronted, confronted with the reality of a God who is in control. And so the scene moves um, from Tizra to uh, Shiloh, where we meet the real God. Verse 4, so Jeroboam's wife did what he said and went to Ahijah's house in Shiloh. Now Ahijah could not see, his sight was gone because of his age. But the Lord had told Ahijah, Jeroboam's wife is coming to ask you about her son for he is ill and you are to give her such and such an answer. When she arrives, she will pretend to be someone else. So um, whilst uh, Jeroboam uh, thinks he can somehow manipulate the Lord and send his wife in disguise, there's this wonderful irony, isn't there, that the blind prophet knows exactly what's going on because the God who sees everything knows. So Jeroboam's poor wife, sent on this fool's errand by a deceitful husband, uh, she's disguised so that she won't be recognized by this aging prophet who can't see. It just shows you just how weak and pitiful Jeroboam is. But we're told uh, Ahijah's hearing is still quite sharp, isn't it? The, the sound of her footsteps at the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why this pretense? <laughs> uh, and that is a good question for us to pause over, isn't it? Why this pretense? The Bible says elsewhere, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That is the real God, isn't it? And you see, that the God that we can hide things from uh, and the God who can't see uh, that we're living a double life is not the real God. And some of us maybe here this morning in particular might need to hear that warning clearly. Stop thinking of God like that and start or restart relating to, relating to him as the person that he really is. Why this pretense? It is hopeless to try to maneuver the real God. And so thirdly, we see the Lord's verdict, verses 7 to 18. The prophet uh, gives uh, the word of God to him. I have been sent to you with bad news. <laughs> because the, the, Jeroboam's wife thought she was being sent to him, but no. Uh, verse 7, go tell Jeroboam that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I raised you up from among the people and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and I gave it to you. And of course, Jeroboam knew this. Why? Because back in chapter 11, God had told him this. But back in chapter 11, when uh, Jeroboam was told that, that, that these tribes, the kingdom, were being torn away from the house of David and given to him, it came with a command. Let me read it to you. It's chapter 11, verse 38. God said to him, If you do whatever I command you, and walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes before obeying my decrees and commands, as David my servant did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. And so the question is, is this, is did Jeroboam walk in an obedient trust like King David did? Is that what he did? No. 
Now, uh, as we compare the two kings, David and Jeroboam, uh, David, his sin was exposed. His deceit was laid bare. But David was brought to true repentance. And he experienced the grace of God in in, in full forgiveness. Uh, We're told that the Lord himself has put away your sin. But Jeroboam, well, we've read, haven't we, chapter 13, 33, He did not change his evil ways and did not know the grace of God. When David's son fell ill, David prayed seven nights, we're told. Jeroboam didn't even pray, just schemed. And so because of this, uh, halfway through uh, chapter 14, verse 8, we're told, but you have not been like my Servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes, you have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made for yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have aroused my anger and turned your back on me. See, God is right to be angry at idolatry. It's right that the one God demands all our heart, all our worship, all our strength, our mind, our soul. Remember, God has spoken words to us of what he is like. You know, the the, the Bible, uh, it speaks supremely, doesn't it, uh, of the God uh, who shows mercy to his people again and again, who sent his son, uh, the Lord Jesus, into the world to die as a man, to be uh, raised again from the dead for for life eternal. This, This word is the only thing that represents God truthfully. And anything else is just a misrepresentation of God. Whether that be a a picture or a statue or any image, it misrepresents him. And so uh, God is angered by idolatry. And so God will judge it, verse 10. Because of this, I am going to bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every last male in Israel, slaves or free. I will burn up the house of Jeroboam as one burns dung until all is gone. Dogs will eat those who belong to Jeroboam who die in the city and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. The Lord has spoken. And of course, the, 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 phrase, the, the words there, cutting off, okay, is covenant language. Uh, God had made a covenant with Abraham, Moses, uh, and David, and Jeroboam has broken that covenant. And he's been called to repent, uh, which he's rejected, and so he finds himself and his descendants cut off from the people of God according to the covenant. And so, uh, as for Jeroboam's wife, verse 12, go back home. When you set foot in your city, the boy will die. All Israel will mourn for him and bury him. He is the only one belonging to Jeroboam who will be buried because he is the only one in the house of Jeroboam in whom the Lord, the God of Israel, has found anything good. And in the original, uh, the language suggests that, that the boy was a believer, that he didn't join in with his uh, father's idolatry. And although he died of this illness, well, it doesn't mean that he wasn't in right relationship with the Lord. 
And for this boy uh, living uh, in that house, death was his friend. Verse 14, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who will cut off the family of Rehoboam. In other words, there's, there's going to be a king who's going to come who will be nothing like you, Jeroboam. Nothing like you. Who will lead his people into the truth in faithfulness. Verse 15, the Lord will strike Israel so that it will be like a reed swaying in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land that he gave to their ancestors and scatter them beyond the river Euphrates because they aroused the Lord's anger by making Asherah poles. They will give Israel up and he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam has committed and caused Israel to commit. And so uh, the the future of Israel is told. They will be dispersed. And indeed they will. Then Jeroboam's wife got up and left and went to Tisra. As soon as she stepped over the threshold of the house, the boy died. They buried him and all Israel mourned for him. As the Lord had said through his servant, the prophet Ahijah. The other events of Jeroboam's reign, his wars and how he ruled are written in the books of the annals of the kings of Israel. He reigned for 22 years and then rested with his ancestors. And Nadab, his son, succeeded him as king. It's interesting, isn't it? The, what events of his reign that the author does record for us and we're to learn from. And the message of this part of God's word is simply this, isn't it? Don't believe in the unreal God of your own thinking because uh, if you do, uh, it will lead to your destruction. Rather, believe in the one, the true God, who's made himself known in the Bible. Because uh, if we don't treat God as the person as he really is, then we are on a collision course with him on the day of judgment and we will be found wanting. Jeroboam, but what about Rehoboam? Much more briefly, uh, we're to hold fast to the gospel. Uh, Chapter 14, verses 21 to 31. Well, we've seen the trajectory of the northern kingdom of Israel being set here. But what about Judah in the south? Well, uh, verse 21. Rehoboam, son of Solomon, was king in Judah. He was 41 years old when he became king and he reigned for 17 years in Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel in which to put his name. His mother's name was Naamah. She was an Ammonite. Now we're not to miss the importance of Rehoboam's mother. Uh, We're told she's an Ammonite. That's not a Jurassic fossil, but uh, a Canaanite tribe. And look, we're told this is important because verse 31 at the end, we're told again that she was an Ammonite. In other words, uh, we are to understand what's going on in in Judah in this time in some way related to Rehoboam's mother. Uh, Back in chapter 11, uh, we were told this. uh, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So what do we find uh, in Judah? 
Well, Judah, like Solomon, has had their heart turned to other gods. It's the same tragedy of the idolatry in Israel, isn't it? Verse 22, uh, Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. By the sins they had committed, they stirred up his jealous anger more than those who were before him had done. They also set up for themselves high places, sacred stones and asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. There were even male shrine prostitutes in the land. The people engaged in all all the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. That's a terrible verdict, isn't it, on the people? And so God humbles Rehoboam. Jerusalem is raided by the Egyptians. Uh, The treasures are taken, including the gold shields of Solomon. But despite that, Rehoboam, he carries on the pretense. Everything's all right, just with bronze shields. How quickly the gold standard of David just becomes bronze. They're carried about as though nothing's really changed. And the tragedy of this is striking. Why? Because when we last heard about Rehoboam and the people of Judah, we're told that in chapter 12, that they listened to the word of the Lord and that they acted according to the word of the Lord. Isn't that striking? So what's the lesson for us from this? Well, we're to keep going, aren't we? To hold on to the faith, trusting in obedience to God's word. I was struck by uh, words Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And God is faithful, isn't he? In verse 21, uh, notice that God is faithful the faithful God is faithful to himself. He, he, is, he has chosen to maintain the city of Jerusalem for his name's sake. And so uh, Israel uh, in the north uh, is set on a trajectory that will lead to its, uh, its destruction. But God will preserve Judah for the time being because he set his name uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, not because they were good kings, actually, as you see, they're mostly bad, but because of the Lord's promise. And one day, when God's faithful king will come, one in whom there'll be no deceit, one whose heart will remain undivided and resolute for the Lord, who will lead his people into righteousness and holiness, will bring them to his heavenly Jerusalem where they will enjoy his glory forever. Friends, that is the hope we're to hold on to. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises is faithful. Let me pray. Our Lord God, teach us your ways that you might give us an undivided heart. So easily, Father, we, we turn to, uh, to the gods of this age to look for our prosperity, our happiness, uh, our joy and contentment. Father, forgive us. Give us an undivided heart that we might not just be Sunday Christians, 
but those uh, who love and obey the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength to know his faithfulness and so hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For we ask this in your name. Amen.